0: You're listening to Neurodiversity at Work. Me that when people rise up against you, was the sign of your destiny, real Fake ones been hating cause they know that one day you're making it Challenges all that can feel Plug in the phone, drift in my zone Pain in the future when thinking alone About when I'm grown, already blown How'd I get back with this beautiful home? You were the sight, beautiful life Beautiful sex, my husband and wife Beautiful children, people who want to come kill me because I'm expressing my rights Feel me because I'm expressing my rights Feel me because I'm expressing my rights Today I have the pleasure of meeting Rachel Morgan Trimmer from Sparkle Class. What you're going to find out today is the experience, the lifelong journey of somebody who is neurodiverse and didn't find out till later in life. And the challenges Rachel faced, the very personal story uh, and the difficulties she faced as somebody who was neurodiverse but did not know and how that impacted her. And now she's overcome some of those challenges uh, and she's able to manage them effectively, but also how she's supporting others, which I think is incredible. I'm sure you're going to find this a fascinating listen. Enjoy. Hi, this is Theo here at Neurodiversity at Work. Today I'm joined by Rachel. Now, Rachel and I met... Uh, recently, and we share some interests in neurodiversity, but we also, I believe, share brains in some way, shape or form. So I was really interested and excited to get Rachel on to talk about her experiences, her background, uh, and why neurodiversity is important to her. So Rachel, would you like to introduce yourself to the audience, who you are, what you do?
1: Hi Theo, thank you for the introduction. My name is Rachel Morgan Trimmer and I run Sparkle Class and I work as a coach and consultant for neurodiverse people. I work with, uh, with non-neurodiverse people as well, but mainly people who have particular difficulties in, you know, running a business or, or working um, their job or whatever, and those things are things like ADHD and autism, dyslexia, and sometimes it's just having too much on.
0: Wow, and are the people that you work with, Rachel, are they people who are aware that perhaps they're neurodiverse or are they just maybe finding out and exploring the fact that they may think and act differently?
1: It's a bit of a mixture, actually. Some of them have known um, from when they were ch- a child, especially the younger people I work with, but when it comes to older people, it tends to be they might just be finding out now or they might suspect but never have a diagnosis. So it's it's a variety. And With the normal people, I, I call them normal, non-neurodiverse people who I work with, a lot of them don't necessarily um, think in the same way as, as people around them. I work, for example, with a lot of creatives who, you know, their brains work in a different way and there are certain things that they, they find they can and can't do. So that is a really interesting mix of people and I really enjoy it.
0: Fantastic. So how did this come about? I mean, what does neurodiversity mean to you?
1: Well, to me, neurodiversity means people who are what I call not normal. I use the words normal and not normal quite a lot because it's easier. It's You know, I'm, I'm passionate about accessibility and, and accessible language. I'm aware that some people don't like using those words because they equate normal with being a good thing. And I've always equated being not normal with with being a good thing because I'm not normal. I have autism and ADHD and I have a I've had a long history of mental health issues as well. So it's really the first-hand experience that brought me into working in this world, and for me that means, you know, anything that's that's different from how most people think.
0: That's incredible. And Rachel, I think you raise a really good point there, and, and language plays a really important part um, in diversity more broadly, I guess. I was only having a conversation the other day uh, about using the term them and us, um, and I think that comes back to. Kind of normal and not be normal and i used it in the context uh, of a presentation um, i was talking about them and us but actually to me it's because i've always felt separate from them and actually that psychologically is embedded in my brain whether or not it's right that um we talk as them and us or normal and not normal i i don't quite know but i think actually we need to be empowered to make that decision as individuals about ourselves I really like your approach to it and your thinking around that.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's a really good point you make there. You, you mentioned how you feel. And one of my counsellors told me once that feelings can't be wrong. There's, you know, we can say some words are wrong or some actions are wrong, but feelings themselves aren't wrong. And you saying how you feel, how you feel separate, how you feel it's them and us and how I feel that, you know, normal is not necessarily a, a good thing and, and not normal is not necessarily bad things. Those come from from how we feel about things. And I think it's good to to maybe not judge people on how they're using the words if it comes from a place of, of feeling rather than, you know, judging others or or the way we we interact with others or, um, you know, how we how we react to people as well.
0: Yeah, and I think it's important that we have the conversation. So again, you know, what do we, uh, how to identify, is it neurodivergent? Actually, is that a negative to negative conversations? Is it neurodiverse? Is it ND? But again, I think you're absolutely right it's around empowering the individuals to make that decision about themselves, right?
1: Yeah, I, I talk sometimes with people who are not neurodiverse or who've been to training sessions about neurodiversity and, they're taught things that people don't really like. And one of the most common ones is um, using the term person with autism, like it's something that you carry around in your pocket. And most autistic people don't like that term because it's there are two reasons. One is that it's not something that's, that's with you, it's sort of in you, it's part of you. And somebody pointed out to me the other day that it it suggests that it's something that can be taken away, that autism is something that can be cured. And as you probably already know, it's, it's not. And it's also not something that should be be cured. And that that's not a a road that we want to go down because it's it's not something that's wrong. It's just different.
0: Absolutely. And I think uh, from a presentation I watched recently, something like 300 to 400 cells can be affected uh, for some views on uh, the autism spectrum. And it can be as much as a word in a book to a sentence in a book to a whole book on a bookshelf. So it's highly complex and each individual is different, just like each fingerprint uh, is different. And I think that that needs to be considered. So how how did you come about uh, doing the work that you're doing? And, and what have you observed? Uh, and I guess what have been your life experiences to get you where you are today, to be doing an incredible support work that you're doing?
1: That's a good question. I don't want to sound like... Um... Uh, full of doom and gloom but my my life has been one of quite significant amounts of struggle and that's a lot of that is because of undiagnosed autism and undiagnosed adhd and some of that has been um because of uh, complex and long-lasting mental illness so the, you asked me how how i got to where i am um i set up my own business it's a, a travel-based business about 14 years ago I think and I have a lot of the um, a lot of my abilities are good for being an entrepreneur and a lot of the things that come with ADHD and autism are really good for being an entrepreneur you know multitasking having ideas um, and so on and being able to organize a database and so on but also those elements made it really really hard as well and then when you bring in some of the mental illnesses as well, like the anxiety and so on. That affected my work to such an extent that it was a a real struggle. And gradually, when I found out that I had ADHD, I had a really good ADHD coach who helped me work through it. And I started developing my own tools and techniques to manage my days, manage my work. Um, I'm sitting in my office right now and I'm, I'm surrounded by schedules and plans and things written down and all kinds of stuff and i I thought to myself you know i've developed all these things myself i should share these i should share these with other people so they don't have to go through the same things that i do and i I make all kinds of worksheets for people and i coach people through their difficulties because sometimes it's as simple as somebody saying oh why don't you do it that way Or, or why don't you just not do it you know every everyone else says you know, if, if you look um, on the internet about, you know, starting your own business, it's a lot of alpha males in suits saying, do this, do that, write a business plan, get this, get that. And and sometimes you can't do it. And sometimes you just don't need to, or you don't want to. And so it, it came out of a, a place of wanting to share my my experiences and my tools, but also it's about tailoring it for you and your needs. So if you have to wear a, a clown's hat to work, for example, because of the way it makes you feel, then, you know, just go ahead and do it. If you can't If you're incapable of cooking dinner for whatever reason, have some cereal, it's fine. So it's just about it's it's about working, having your life and work together, because all of us have a life outside work, (laughs) at least I hope we do. And and a lot of the people I work with, you know, they struggle to to balance their life and work. So when they come to me for help with their work, we look at some of their aspects of their life as well, especially these days with so many people working from home, so many people have family commitments and all sorts. So yeah, that was a rather long-winded answer to your question, but I hope it answered it. Yeah, it does. So what, when it, on that note, what do
0: you find is the biggest challenge for individuals who come to you? Is it them being able to understand themselves and manage themselves within different environments or you know, get the best out of themselves in different environments? Or is it the organisations or environments that they're working in that actually is inhibiting them being themselves, selves uh, and that is, is creating anxiety stress and um, and challenges for them
1: it it varies an awful lot because I, I work with such a wide range of people but one of the things we start at and one of the things they quite often don't think about is actually what they want to be doing so you know they say oh i i'm having trouble with this and i have trouble with that and i say well, what do you actually want to do what do you want to get out of this where do you want to be you know in a year's time why are you doing this and so we start from a point of while you're doing it in the first place and what your your dreams and goals might be and also sometimes what we do is take away all the stuff that's in the way you know if it wasn't for um you know say having to pay the mortgage as a as an example you know if it wasn't for that what would you be doing and and try and work out what's driving people because I find unless you've got that motivation inside you that intrinsic motivation it doesn't matter what you do because it's got to come from inside you and it won't work unless you've got the motivation to do it
0: Absolutely. And I think that's probably truer of somebody who is uh, neurodiverse than anybody else, because actually uh, certain things can become quite challenging uh, for, for those who are neurodiverse. Certainly for myself, doing certain tasks can feel like a mountain, a, a real mountain. And um, the emotional state that that can put me in, the mindset that can put me in uh, is is quite difficult. And I guess from somebody else's perspective, it may seem like I'm immovable. I don't want to do something or uh, uh, there's a level of negativity, which is not often said about me, but, you know, maybe that can be a perception. Um, And so being able to enable somebody who's neurodiverse, who's ND, to work to their strengths or to their passions or to their interests, I think makes a huge difference. And there's probably a lot of people out there who, were not aware of what those things are and probably have never been given the type of support and culture you're giving them
1: yeah I'm finding that a lot I'd like to share with you an example from my own life actually about this idea of you know um, motivation not wanting to do something because I currently do a talk on my own experience and growing up and being different and mental illness and and you said about climbing a mountain sometimes it feels like climbing a mountain and doing this talk feels like that because it's way way outside my comfort zone I, I'm not really used to Um, talking about my my own experiences like that but I and I get so nervous doing it that I want to throw off sometimes but I do it because it's so important to me to share my experience and I think that's an example of how the intrinsic motivation can overcome you know the nerves the the time it takes to plan the talk organizing it and so on it overcomes all of that because I really really want to do it and I'm driven by not just the the need to to tell people what happened to me but also because other people tell me they find it helpful and and i'm driven by that need now because i don't want other people to go through what i did and so i'm really finding that that that's a big a big motivation for me to help other people
0: wow and so what is that what's the context of the talk um uh, because i i agree it's for me the uh, i you need support you need support networks no matter who you are no matter how well versed you look in the subject we all need somebody we can look to to go and oh, they, they feel in a similar way to how I feel, or they felt similar way, and this is how perhaps they've overcome it or how they deal with it. And I mean, that's why I've created this podcast, right? Because I want people to be able to access these types of experiences. So do you mind sharing uh, that talk?
1: The talk is called The Power of Change, Learning to Live as a Weirdo. And it, I talk about how I grew up feeling different. And I talk about a little bit about my childhood and um, my my experience of different mental illnesses um, as an adult as well. And then eventually how I overcame that and um, recovered and learned to live with those those things that make me different and how I embrace that now rather than trying to push it away like I did for a lot of my life. But also in the talk, um, I I discuss things like, um, you know, what autism actually is and, and you know, facts and, and figures and, Things like that, just to, to give it a little bit more context, because I know that people, some people who come to the talk don't know anything about it. So I just want to give it a, again. This is an accessibility thing. Not assuming that people necessarily understand what I'm talking about. So there's lots of pictures in it. There's lots of jokes. It's it's actually it sounds depressing, but it's it's actually quite a light-hearted talk because I I use humour a lot to connect with people. Some people might call it a coping mechanism, but I I just think that it's a it's a really nice way of of being able to access a subject without it being being too heavy and I find as well sorry I find as well that um you you were saying about people need to hear it and need to connect with that and I do get a lot of people coming up after me saying oh this is this is what I needed to hear and I feel like that too and I I find people nod along a lot and I I like doing a talk where people nod along because it really helps me if you if you're staring at a sea of blank faces you're like oh no they they even listening to me or whatever yes (laughs) <laughs> but when people nod along that motivates me to carry to on talking it actually makes my job a lot easier and that's you know it sounds funny but that's that's one of the reasons that I do it because I, I love having that connection with people because that's something that I I didn't have before so it's, it's for me as much as anyone else I, I make it sound like I'm doing this big altruistic thing but it's actually as much for me and and because I enjoy it and I, I, I like that connection and I find it part of my healing I suppose as well.
0: And this comes back to what we've talked about before, um, which is around uh, the need for gaining (laughs) immediate gratification. And I guess to put that into context, and you'll understand what I'm talking about here, um, you know, somebody with ADHD um, needs to see um, the, the benefit of what they're doing quite quickly. And I suppose that's a wonderful opportunity to do that because there's no more immediate response than an audience that stood in front of you as you talk to them. right? They're, they're giving you that feedback straight away.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that, that is um, I, I hadn't actually thought of it like that. But I, I suppose you're right, because that is that is a big part of, of ADHD. And I hadn't thought about doing the talk in terms of inst- instant gratification. But you're quite right.
0: And, and, but it's important as well, because the that gratification is not free. You have to earn you have to earn it. Which, which adds an extra dynamic to it, and an extra energy to it. Which for me, is something around um, the, the, my ADHD increases as I get that gratification. So I almost uh, my symptoms or the way that I'm, I almost become uh, more energetic. It's it's almost like a um, a battery that is powered in itself through some kind of organic energy. Which, which is incredible. So uh, without, like you say, if the audience is flat, that actually inhibits the performance because you're not getting that gratification. Therefore, it doesn't, you you don't get the battery power.
1: Yeah. And I've actually noticed that when I've spoken to you, when I came to see you in your office, um, you know, it's, there's a, a great animation when we're both talking about these things that we care about. And I've noticed that talking to other people with, with ADHD. I was in a pub the other night with someone with ADHD and, you know, we were there till closing time, just just twittering away because it's something that's, um, you know, that we're passionate about.
0: Absolutely, I it's you you feel the energy, you feel the buzz, and I think that is um, it. And I actually I I've looked back on my life and I realised there's a lot more people who. Had ADHD or have um, that maybe they don't know themselves. I, I can think of friends it, straight to the top of my mind, and some of them I've since uh, I've since found out through doing this work. And now I kind of look back and go, "Oh, that's what that energy was about." Right? <laughs> it was it was two people with ADHD, uh, extremely passionate about the conversation uh, we were having, and, and that energy is explosive. It is incredible. It is um, something amazing about it and and uh and uh, imagine you know this is the thing organizations need to realize and the individuals need to realize harness that power and it is incredible it, it's you know it's um nuclear almost <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think and you, this is uh, this is lovely because this is what happens you see you start to think on your feet ideas start streaming out a realization comes of, of past conversations uh, and that's why I love, that's why I love talking to you and other people who are neurodiverse because you you get these incredible moments uh, that I don't necessarily always get with other people, which is fascinating.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I love it too. It's, you know, something that really drives me. So on that basis, how do you think uh,
0: being neurodiverse as, as in, you, you know, you mentioned it's been a challenge. You mentioned it's been a struggling life. How have some of those struggles manifested themselves that you wouldn't share? But also, how have you overcome them? Um, and, and I guess it's the advice to others on how they could overcome them, and what they could think about, them, which I guess is what you now do on a daily basis um, in your consultancy as part of your support work.
1: Yeah, it is. Um, one thing I wanted to touch on, actually, is something that's not talked about often with ADHD. And that is weight, because I used to be fat and that was a lot to do with ADHD. People with no impulse control who like food, obviously, there's a there's going to be a problem there, and um, and yeah, so and and that can be quite difficult and challenging for people because it's not something you know a lot of us try and hide our, our ADHD or our autism or our mental illness and um, you know if you're overweight that's something that you can't hide and it's it's a cause of um, great distress to some people. So. Um, and that's something that I've, I've lived through because, by the way, I use the term fat because it's used by the size acceptance movement. It's not intended to be an insult. It's just a description of, of a person. And um, yeah, and then I, it was a, a, big, a big deal, but I managed to lose the weight eventually. And I actually used um, some of my autistic abilities to do that because I, my autistic special interest is food, which is you know, <laughs> that combined with ADHD was, was why I got fat in the first place. But I used that to um, enable myself to to start eating healthy food instead. And I knew that I wasn't going to exercise because of that. You know, there's a bit of instant gratification, but weight loss is a a long haul, which is hard for people with ADHD. So I I looked up, um, you know, some tools for, for doing anything with ADHD. And one of them was an accountability partner. So I got myself an accountability partner for exercise and he's really good. He's on at me every single day. He, he messaged, He's messaged me every day since March to make sure <laughs> that I'm doing the exercise that I said I would. And, and by using that and some other things, I've managed to lose the weight. But I, I just wanted to put it out there because there, I know there are people who, who have ADHD who are not happy with their weight and they don't always realise that those two things are connected and, you know, unless you address some of the, the, the core issues of why you are overweight and you're not going to be able to lose weight if that's something that you want to do?
0: Wow, wow. Uh, you know what? Sometimes you don't consider these things. So this is new to me. And as the minute you talk about it, it makes absolutely complete sense. You know, I I had other things that I, um, I focused on, you know, as a young person, you know, smoking from the age of eleven, drugs, drink, and you don't realise. I, I wasn't um, an addict, but I was obsessed. I was um, impulsive, so I would do more than anyone else. I would go further than anyone else um, in my search for. I don't know. I don't know. It's it, it, it's this. It, it is this impulsivity, and I think to to talk about weight actually makes complete sense to me because why wouldn't it? And I think um, I, I know uh, it can have an impact on, on mental health as well, because you put yourself in a situation, it can be weight, it can be it, it can be risk. You can put yourself at risk. And that may be through weight, I, um, you know, health uh, challenges and issues, but that can happen through alcohol, it can happen through drugs, it can happen through a wide variety of other things. So, wow, thanks for sharing that. And there's probably a lot of people out there who either didn't consider it and maybe going through that, and this may give them a, something to hold on to as a way of overcoming it. And, and I, I just think it's so important. It, it must have been a long journey to overcome that. How, how do you now feel you've gone through that process? And I don't know, any kind of key learnings you can share for others, you may, this may be a light bulb moment.
1: Do you, are you talking about just weight loss here or about the whole the whole package?
0: I, I would probably say the whole package because I think clearly they're, they're, they're linked. You know, from my mind, they are.
1: Yeah, I mean, part. I mean, I've attributed my weight gain to um, ADHD, but it, uh, some of it was comfort eating as well from um, from mental illness. But um, what the the whole recovery thing you asked me earlier about, um, you know, what how I how I got through it and um, and what the takeaway is for other people and the it's it's a long story because I was depressed for 38 years, not all the time on and off and I there were different mental illnesses coming into that and going out and I had an anxiety disorder I'm not sure how long I had that because I didn't realize for ages that I had an anxiety disorder it was a few years but yeah the depression was on and off for 38 years and um and it just it was a series of you know lots of different mental health interventions uh, none of which worked and then um but over a year ago I landed on a a therapist who was right for me and a therapy that worked for me the the therapy I did is called schema therapy I don't know if you're familiar with it it's lots it's like CBT cognitive behavior therapy but it goes a little bit deeper so it's ideal for people who have long-term mental health issues or who have complex issues because in my case there's there's more than one thing going on and for a lot of people who are mentally ill that there's more than one thing going on so it's um it really worked for me and it was combined with compassion-based therapy as well. And at the same time, I did a mindfulness course, which was really helpful. And um, I've just finished the second one of that. I did a level two one as well. So it was, it was a combination of things, but ultimately it was landing on therapy that really worked. And I know it is it is possible to recover from mental illness spontaneously, but it is very rare. And one of the things I do through my work is to show people that you can recover from mental illness. You can get better even if you think you can't and even if you've had it for a long time, but it is very difficult to do by yourself. And I I obviously don't do therapy, but I do encourage a great deal of my clients to access therapy. And the first point of call, if, if that's what people wanna do, should be your GP. Because one of the things that people forget about the NHS is not just that it's free, but also that um, it has really good quality control because I went I went to see quite a lot of private therapists and um, they just weren't right for me. And some there were one or two who were actually dangerous. They, they were recommending things that um, could have put me in a worse place mentally. And with the NHS, if they refer you to a therapist, they're, they're people who've gone through the right training. that It's therapy that has a lot of evidence to show that it works. So that's what I, I try and do now.
0: Do you think that um diagnosis or or even before that actually a realization that uh you may be neurodiverse had a, a big positive impact for you or, or was it just one of of many things uh, on a long journey um of recovery if, if you if you would describe it as that I don't know what what would be your thoughts
1: well the re- for me the realization that I had ADHD was a big deal and, and the autism as well actually because um before that one blames oneself i don't know if you found this with your adhd but you you blame yourself for being lazy for being impulsive and, and i know you had some some issues in the past with with um you know unhealthy coping mechanisms and you yeah. blame yourself for being um what's the word i'm looking for for being impulsive or, or lazy or reckless or self-indulgent is another one yeah. and and once you find that that's you know you're your brain doesn't work the same way as everyone else and you're trying to behave in a way that other people do, but you can't and and you're using these unhealthy coping mechanisms to deal with that. I think that it takes a lot of the blame away. And I think once you stop blaming yourself for everything, you're in a much better place to start examining um, all the other things that that can cause mental illness or to cause you to feel distressed. So in my case, yeah, it was a big deal, but it it, go, it went with a package of, of everything else. And in fact, um, during my therapy, those things came up again and again, which I think was important because if I pretended that I was fine, it wouldn't have come up in the therapy and then the therapy probably wouldn't have worked.
0: Yeah. And what's scary um, and what upsets me is how many children Uh, in in the position I guess we've been in uh, that they are blaming themselves through the education system they're blaming themselves because they're I don't know they're upsetting their parents they're upsetting the school they're um, you know not achieving what they should they're they're a problem but they're not but but that's that's how you perceive yourself right you're a problem Uh, and there's a lot of guilt that does come with that you're right Um,
1: yeah a lack of understanding from the child because if they're if they're the one autistic kid or the one kid with ADHD in their class, they don't understand why they can't do what the rest of the class is doing. And I think we forget as adults how important um, being part of the group is when you're a kid. It's how we learn. It's how we develop socially. Well, people without autism do anyway. <laughs> but but other kids, you know, they, I mean, even kids with autism, we, we all want to be part of that group. It's how we've evolved, isn't it? And when you're not, it's, it's really tough. And I, I think we do, we do forget about that.
0: We do. Rachel, what, I, I mean, I, I love this. I love it because um, it, it's raw, it's honest, um, it's something that resonates with me quite a lot. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm really pleased you reached out to me um, when you did, and that we've been able to do this podcast. If people want to want to get hold of you, uh, they want to talk to you, they want to learn more about what you do, they want to see you talk i mean i know there's content online but what's the best way uh, of engaging um i'm on
1: twitter a lot as sparkle class i'm on linkedin as well um with my real name rachel morgan trimmer and my website is sparkleclass.com and you can contact me through um through any of those things obviously i've got adhd so i love to talk and yes. i uh, i love to hear from from other people as well you know it is it is my job but if you know people Talk to me just to connect and that's that's also fine I, I talk a lot just um chatting and and things and and everyone I talk to helps my own understanding so if people reach out to, to chat to me that's actually helping me as as well as hopefully helping them
0: well clearly that has helped me today because we've talked before but this is just it's just triggered a few other things in my mind so I, I absolutely agree you know continue the conversation because uh There's no end of things that come out of it and and positive things that that can help. So thank you. Um, You're brilliant. uh, And I I think our audience is going to love this. uh, And I hope that people do reach out to you uh, and and get to uh, share their experiences with you and, and benefit from your knowledge and expertise as well.
1: Great. Thank you very much, Theo.
0: Absolute pleasure. You've been listening to Neurodiversity at Work, available on all good podcast hosts. Please do sign up now, like, share and comment. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you.